accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're continuing our DS9 coverage. We're up to the episode called Shadow Play. It is the 16th episode of the second season, aired on February 20th, 1994, written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by Robert Shearer. In this episode, at a colony in the Gamma Quadrant, Dax and Odo investigate the mysterious disappearance of several colonists, which uh, maybe describes about a third of the actual episode, but they didn't put the rest of that in the little blurb, so that's what we'll go with. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? This episode gets a one. A one, because they didn't show us what Spring Ball was. I know. It's... (laughs) It, it, it follows a long tradition of ridiculous made-up sci-fi sports that you get to see and you go, oh, that probably sounded a lot better on paper than it did on screen. And they, they totally sidestepped it, and I'm very upset. What's the, um, what's the prisoner sport called? I was thinking I should have looked it up so I don't look like I, I don't know anything about that show, but I can't remember what the hell it's called. <laughs> That's maybe the most. That and uh, Anbo Jitsu from TNG's second season are the two most ridiculous fake sports things. But, um... I guess we're kind of lucky because you've missed the episodes where O'Brien and Bashir play racquetball with each other. And they mm-hmm. call they call it racquetball, but it looks nothing like modern day racquetball. So it's weird that they didn't just uh, make up a name for it and call it something well, else. Well, you know, sports evolve over time. I'm sure I'm sure racquetball to them is used to be like American football. Or something. Right. Yeah. After like, they took all the hitting rules out, they just turned it into racquetball. <laughs> After the liberals won. Um, let's see here. So. Shadow play. Yeah, we're going to uh, play an audio clip. Me and Clay will come back. We're going to break this one down. A-, a job? What do I need a job for? You're 15 years old. It's time you took a little responsibility. Look, Nog works, doesn't he? Yeah. You're almost as old as he is. When I was your age, I had a job. And it was a terrific experience. All right, uh, I'll talk to Noggin and see if he can get me a job at Quarks. Quarks? Whew. I was thinking more along the lines of you helping out Chief O'Brien. Chief O'Brien? <laughs> you do like Chief O'Brien, don't you? He's okay, but I don't know anything about engineering. This is the perfect opportunity to learn. Besides, it'll look great on your application to Starfleet Academy. All right, so, shadow play. We got three stories going on here. We've got the Dax and Odo on the planet with the missing colonists. We've got Jake Sisko picking up an apprenticeship uh, with Miles O'Brien. And we've got Kira and Brile having a, a romantic fling. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start this one off, Clay, and then I'll throw mm-hmm. it to you. I think that this one is not a very good episode, but it it is sort of starting the... It's an early attempt, I think, at DS9 to try to do serialization on some level. Mm. And it doesn't really work all that well, mostly because two of the three storylines are completely conflictless in some sense. <laughs> um, Arguably, all three of them are. Yeah. And the, well, so I, I like the Odo and Dax storyline. Okay. Or the Odo storyline. Dax is just kind of there. Um, I don't think that the. The other two storylines, which are Kira and Brile and uh, Jake and Cisco, those have been previously mentioned in other episodes. Like the episode before this one, Jake brings up the fact that he's, uh, or Cisco is talking to O'Brien and he wants O'Brien to mentor Jake so he can get into Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. And then Kira and Brile have had hints at their relationship in the previous episodes that we saw, which were like the Circle and the uh, Siege episodes. So he's back now. Both of those storylines are not particularly good. And I thought we'd talk about them before we get into the odo one um but did you did you have any thoughts on the like the episode overall would you kind of agree with that or you thought that all three of them were not particularly good um <clears throat> excuse me um i yes i more or less would agree with that i this one got me again a little bit the way that the last one did where i was just sort of like zoning out for most of it because so much of it was so I don't know, inconsequential. Yeah. Until the turn uh, in the Odo storyline, um, which at first I thought was ridiculous, but when, then when they shut the machine off, I was like, okay, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. And then it actually, they got into some pretty interesting sci-fi 
you know, uh, like ethics conversations, which is always fun. Yeah. Um, but up until that point, I thought it was a, a, a fairly solid stinker of an episode. Yeah, I mean, I... I think the big problem is that the other two storylines don't have any conflict in them. Like they, they are, they're an attempt at being a serialization and thematically they do all tie in together because it's about appearances, not being what you think they are under Mm -hmm. everyone's storyline. So Jake, uh, his father thinks he wants to go to Starfleet and that's not what the actual reality is. The hologram thing is obvious. And then Kira and Brile, Brile isn't there because of her quirk had orchestrated the whole thing. So there's this, the the theme of everything works together. It's just that the stories that they're telling for the episode are boring on a lot of levels. Like there's nothing, there's no conflict in the Jake and Cisco storyline. Like Cisco is, is totally fine with Jake not being in Starfleet. Yeah. So the whole thing is just in his head and it doesn't amount to anything. Even thematically, I think it's like a very thin, thin thread. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, the... Barile doesn't come, isn't there to see Kira, but he is. Like, he he, he wasn't... He didn't come specific. of his own accord, I think, yeah, right? Well, w- w- I thought he was there, like, basically to see her, but it was, he kind of tagged along with another guy who was coming anyway. Well, Qu- Quark had, Quark had not tricked him, but Quark had orchestrated him to show up there. So maybe he does have a thing for Kira, but he didn't come because of her, I guess. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I mean, like he wasn't, yeah, I guess, I guess it kind of works. I don't know. It, it seems kind of thin to, to, to string those three together. But, yeah. uh, I mean, Burile, Burile is tough because Burile basically has the personality of a dead fish in the show. Yeah. So he's, he's a tough one to do any kind of storyline uh, with like a nuanced romantic relationship or anything like that. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I just, uh, the Cisco, the Jake story. I found a little bit interesting, even though it's only like two or three scenes, only because it's it made me think. Uh, this this week in, in in Clay asks questions that nobody really cares about as far as Star Trek goes. Um, what happens if you don't go into Starfleet? Is there something else for you to do with your life? It always seems like Starfleet's the only thing. Like yeah. if you don't become like because there's no. I guess I assume there's probably still like jobs, even though you're not getting paid. Yeah, it's more of like a. You know, you get paid in, I don't know, bartering or something. We like we run into them. They're always like scientists doing things on planets and stuff. And they're not they're not explicitly Starfleet, but they are just sort of scientists who are out there. Um, there seem to be a lot of farmers in the twenty fourth century. Um, it's actually, it, it's a it's a question that DS nine is interested in and gets involved through the Jake storyline. So this is this is the start of what becomes kind of a running theme for Jake about growing up and not knowing what he wants to be when he gets mm-hmm. older. He eventually does settle on a job um, in a later season, but it's it's really, his character is supposed to be because the writers were themselves questioning what do people do in this universe if they don't join Starfleet? Right, so, yeah. So they... I was, I was kind of hoping uh, after Cisco's like, whatever you, find what you love and just be the best at it. I wish he was like, thanks, Dad. I guess I'm going to go back to playing hacky sack and have Cisco just be like, ugh. <laughs> smoking, uh, smoking pot and drinking is what I'm particularly good at here on the other I'm going to be the best performance artist DS9 has ever seen. <laughs> He's going to be the um, accompaniment to that saxophone playing Bajoran guy from the other episode. He'll just, he'll sort of be his, uh, <laughs> like his, his rhythm section or something. I, I don't, I mean, the, the the Jake and Cisco thing is whatever. They're they're kickstarting that. Cisco doesn't really have a problem, so the the storyline kind of crumbles under the fact that Ben Cisco doesn't care what Jake Cisco wants to do really, as long as he's happy doing it. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't think I realized his name was Ben. <laughs> well it's tough. Oh no, I guess Benjamin yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I've not think I've ever heard anybody refer to him as Ben, so that kind of <laughs> we're, we're on a first name casual uh, basis. And, you know, O'Brien is fine. We learn a little bit more about O'Brien and his, his father who didn't like him, you know, going to Starfleet first and then came around I, and I was very proud of him. I call bullshit on that story. There's no way Miles O'Brien used to be a cellist. <laughs> <laughs> Miles O'Brien has had a very topsy-turvy career 
according to all these episodes. He's gone through, a, he became a cellist, then like a war hero, then a engineer, then uh, it's just, it's a lot to, uh, it's a lot to believe in his, his young, relatively young age. He's accomplished a lot and changed a lot of uh, opinions about things that he likes and does. Now, if his, if he had said his dad wanted him to be a professional springboard, spring ball player, yeah. I would believe that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'd like farmer something. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised they didn't go more stereotypically like old worldy. Yeah, like he's Irish and he wanted him to do some Irish <laughs> thing on like the, the farm that they own or something. It, it felt a little bit strained there. And instead, he's, he's basically a cellist. Although, does Keiko play an instrument? I feel like she, she does. In Data's day, Probably. I think she's playing something. Yeah, I think she plays a flute or something. That story kind of reminded me of that Monty Python sketch where uh, Eric Idle comes home <clears throat> and he's dressed like really nicely and his father's like a rough and tumble like London, you know, northern Londoner kind of guy. Yeah. And they flip it so his father is a poet and his and Eric Idle is works in a coal mine. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that sketch. That was a good one. And the um after that we have Kira Quark and Beryl's storyline, which similarly doesn't do anything whatsoever. Um, Beryl continues to be terrible as, as a character. There's no reason there. The way the actor plays him is awful. That, the scene where they're kissing and he's like talking while yeah, it's and, happening. And trying and to she's breathe. she's just like, yeah, she's just like kind of like moving her face around as he's talking <laughs> into her face. <laughs> I just, I, the only thing I can focus on there is how he's, because he's trying to kiss, talk, he runs out of breath all the time. So he's he's very breathy while he's like mm-hmm. all, all up in her face. And, uh, you know, the, the most mild of colds, I think, would have been a death sentence for Kira at that point. It's it's kind of a kind of a weird, odd scene. I don't understand why Kira, the feisty Kira character, would go for this vanilla, you know, like yeah. white bread guy. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He'll he'll stop he'll stop showing up once Worf comes to town. Yeah, care be all over him. <laughs> Burrell, like what is Burrell? Burrell sticks around for a little bit. He's never particularly prominent, which is good. Uh, they kind of cast him aside. So those those two storylines are mostly pointless filler. I, I think they're somewhat thematically important, but it's not, uh, not in a good way. Uh, also, is there anything more like stagey or like TV or movie stagey than two people like? Sort of seductively clearing plates off of a table. Yes, because that's it. Like, does does that ever happen in real life? Where like you're on a date and you go to clear the plates at the same time, and you end up like standing there holding plates and just <laughs> talking into each other's mouths. <laughs> yeah, it's usually um, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> breathing on each other. I think that the the plate clearing on a uh, like a first date like these two doesn't seem like it should be the priority that it always is in movies. There's no. There's no one who ever says we'll clean these up later. Let's uh, let's go watch TV or something like that. Yeah, um, I was wondering that I was I was watching something else the other day, and I was uh, the, is have was there ever a time where people actually like frequently would would rely on doing like impressions of popular people as a way to be like kooky and charming, or is that completely a made up thing from TV and movies? Because I don't know if I've ever run into somebody who does that. Do you, do you have an example? That didn't happen in this episode, did it? Or am I just... No, no, I'm just... This is a total tangent. I'm oh, okay. <laughs> I was watching something else, and, like, there's this one character who just, like, casually starts doing, like, a Groucho Marx impression. I'm like, is that something people used to do in real life? Because I've never run into a person who's just, like, that I enjoyed spending time with, <laughs> who's just casually, like, doing, like, a Jim Carrey impression or something. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It seems like a Billy Crystal kind of bit or something like that i it happens all the time in movies and i don't know why it's yeah like, or it's like you know here's my sweet jimmy cagney impression that is even then 30 years out of date <laughs> yeah they're basically all the um snl sketches of like auditions other other actors doing auditions for famous movies like the other yes, star wars yeah. things and stuff like that <laughs> these certain people walk side by side um <laughs> <laughs> let's see uh, I guess that brings us into the Dax and Odo storyline, which is the the meat and bones of the story. I don't know really how well it works. It's kind of an interesting sci-fi idea. They hammer in the girl relationship for some point. Here's what the original idea of what this episode was going to be. Um, where the hell is it? Oh, here it is. So it was originally going to be titled The Persistence of Vision. 
the writer Robert Hewitt Wolf original idea involved Dax and O'Brien trapped on an alien planet. They escape from the prison, but as they attempt to leave the planet, they discover that they are in fact still in the prison. They escape again, and this time they make it back to DS9, but neither of them are entirely convinced that they are in fact free, and they will never be sure of whether or not this is reality. That sounds like something I would like, for obvious reasons. (laughs) That's a pretty cool idea. I'm surprised they didn't stick with that, although it it would be very close to... That seems to be a theme going on in DS9's second season, uh, because Whispers was the same kind of idea. Mm-hmm. about never knowing like just sort of being unsure of what reality is on some of them playing with the idea of what reality is supposed to be right um, but the way that they handle it here is fine is interesting the alien race they run into are pretty generic and bland hats uh, off to the uh costume department for finding so many beaded seat cushions they could turn into hats i was um I, I was I was thinking it might be a problem for people who are like hypersensitive. The the bead trinkling when they were talking all the time you can you can hear in the background the beads are clinking clinking against oh, each other. I, I imagine the sound guy wanted to murder whoever made that costume. Yeah, I, I found it I found it distracting on my own. I don't know if they uh, ADR, but I imagine there's enough beads in the thing that it's going to be clinking. They're picking stuff up like that, but I don't know. What, what do you think of this storyline? Because I think that the it's not Patrick. It doesn't really have a focus on it, besides the fact that it's about non-reality, and it's kind of interesting that the ethics of the situation, you know, the holodeck and whether or not this is reality and whether or not this guy should live like this and everything. I I don't know. It's it's not. It never really lands for me on some level. I feel like it misses the mark. Yeah i I liked the idea once they got to the turn, but I don't think the rest of it is nearly strong enough to support it. Um, because it's it's boring as hell. It's yeah. just so boring, and like it's it's <clears throat> it's one of those stories where it had me asking questions, which are inherently end up being the questions that they address. But it had me asking the questions not because I thought it was well written, it because it felt like it was just thrown together. If that makes sense, sure. So like, um. <clears throat> You know, the whole time, like, what the hell are they even doing? Like, it's it's basic story questions that I feel like they're sidestepping in order to hit you with the turn at the end. Yeah. And I don't feel like that's entirely honest as far as storytelling goes. So, like, I was thinking, like, well, what the hell are they even doing here? What are these people, what's this thing for? And, like, there's there's no driving action to get you to find out these answers. It's just sort of like, yes, what are these people doing here? Yeah. Hopefully Odo- that's enough to get you to keep watching. Odo's more interested in being the detective and solving the missing person story. So it's like a, yeah. he, he's not the the script isn't interested in like the characters of this the sailing race and how they got there. They're more just like they show up at a place that they somehow kind of know and then they just want to solve the mystery for them. And the the mystery of the disappearing people isn't interesting enough to carry it so they had right. they had yeah. the story about adding the girl in and stuff because th- there's no real mystery to the people missing it's not like odo finds any clues he just kind of stumbles on the fact that no one ever leaves the town yeah and, and there's nothing there's nothing that it might be right other than what it is yeah so that in in essence makes it kind of boring to watch because it's not like there's no implication of any other wrongdoing or even suggestion of that it's just like yeah you know they're just gone I don't know. I mean, do you think and, that do you think that they're trying to push the mystery in the way that the, the how uninterested everyone in the town is? Like the focus of the mystery is more the reaction of the townspeople who seem less Im, less worried about the fact than they should be. And Odo, Odo never really seems to push that, but I'd imagine that would be the way that you'd approach this mystery if you don't have like a you know there's a, a monster in the woods type storyline where you're wondering what's out there grabbing people. It's more about the reaction of the town folk is not matching what you'd expect people to be reacting like. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess I would say that. Like you could have had the most of the town folk be sort of indifferent to it and then have Odo be like, "Well, people are disappearing. You guys should be worried about this." And then maybe have the girl be the one who was worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So yeah. just to just to just to have some sort of like intrigue as to the atmosphere of the place instead of just hoping that the uh, cute story between Odo and the and the girl is enough to get you to the end. Like yeah, like it's and it's it's tough because it's a good ending. Like once they once they give you the 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 meat, it's like all right, this is pretty interesting. I feel like they missed an opportunity to do something a lot cooler with it. Yeah, 
Um, but the conversation that they end up having about like, you know, first of all, again, much like the last episode I was on whispers, I feel like there's a technology jump here where people should be talking about the fact that they had, they gave birth to a hologram baby. Yeah. Like multiple times <laughs> yeah. and have essentially a holodeck has created sentient life, basically. Yeah, well, TNG um, did that to be fair, I guess. With the um, oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, we, 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 we did that one up. Remember the the very like second to last episode where the ship becomes a sentient creature. Uh, very vaguely. Yeah, very. There's that, and there's the uh, ship in a bottle. Every time Moriarty was on TNG, oh, right, right. he was a but, he was but that still, kind of like, that's that's a little bit different than this idea that like it gave you've created an entirely new being. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, because he, he even goes out of his way to say, like, she is the result of aspects of the father program and the mother program. Oh, sure. Yeah, I understand. And, what you, mean, uh, yep. you know, so they have created a wholly new original original being, um, which is it's really interesting because, you know, Odo, I, apparently Odo's never been on a holodeck because he seems to be like really concerned about the ethics of this thing, which, to be <laughs> fair, is, you know, makes sense for him. Well, he, he said at this, he said at the first, uh, he said in the opening scene that he's never had sexual relations. I think he already implies that. So he's never gone to Quark's Hollow Suite, I think, because oh, that's yeah, all they're, they're using it for. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense for him to, to react that way, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a good conversation. And it was one of those things where it's when they, when they come out with the thing where they're like, everybody hears a hologram. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, I, cause it's, it was so, it sounded so dumb. Yeah. Um, but then I was thinking like, oh wait. Was that while they had revealed that the one guy was real or were you no, thinking that? No, that was before. Okay. This was the, the, but when they, when they're first telling the town, they're like, everybody hears a hologram. Sure. And I was like, all right, that's pretty dumb. Um, but then I was thinking, oh, well it's holodeck technology. Cause the first thing I was thinking was if everybody hears a hologram, then you shouldn't be able to touch anybody, but it's holodeck technology, which is, you know, whatever. Yep. So you can touch people. So I guess that's fine. But still, still, I don't know. It still seemed kind of silly to me. And then when they were shutting it, when they were starting to shut everything off in my head, the first thing I thought was, well, it would make sense if there's one person who's real. And then that's exactly what happens. Like, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I liked that part. I liked the discussion. I liked the idea of, uh, you know, working in the dominion there being like, yeah, my people got destroyed. And so I created this as, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Um, our third mention of the dominion so far. Yeah. Yep. I, again, I feel, I hope, I wish every time they said dominion, there was like a guitar solo riff <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> they're, um, re they're really starting to hammer it too, because when he says the name, they cut away to Odo and Dax looking at each other. Like he had just said that he solved the Kennedy assassination. Like it's, a, <laughs> they really want to hammer the home, the point that this is something that they're building towards. But yeah, I you know, I think and maybe this is me watching these being so having watched so many of them. I mean, obviously not as many as you have, but I've I've watched a lot of Star Trek over the past couple of years and I find it I find like I need to have a good hook up front for me to really get into an episode. Yeah. And this did not have that. It had a one good idea at the end, but like it was the rest of it. I was I was actually watching this late last night. I started it late last night, and I was thinking like, you know, if I couldn't sleep, this would be the episode that I go to because there's just it's just talking. It's just walking around and talking. Yeah, and like very mute, muted level audio talking. Um, no conflict. Uh, white, really, no conflict. White noise from the ship. Yeah, barely any like music swells. Um, there's not even a, a distracting spring ball sequence that might wake you up. Um, well, I mean, I mean, listener, uh, listener, Kyle. I don't know if I read this on the whispers. Remind me if if you, this sounds familiar. But he was just talking about how the series is different from TNG on some level because it's 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 realized that it came out of the gates realizing that the characters are the most important part of these series. Yeah. So they they worked on the characters really well, but they they don't really seem to be having storylines that fit in particularly mm -hmm. well at this point. Yeah. Like they're not they're not up to task with the storylines to meet with the character work that they're doing. And I think that's I think that's very true. And I think that the what might be unique about you watching it at this point is that someone like myself, if I'm familiar with it, I appreciate the character work, even if mm -hmm. I can ignore the storylines. And I think it might be yeah. tough for someone unfamiliar with it to be like, what, why am I watching? Like, why is, why are they making episodes like this? Because it's not particularly, it doesn't draw you in like you were saying. 
Yeah, I think, you know, the character stuff is good, and I would agree. They're doing a really good job with their characters. Um, it's just that... I think some of these can be so character-focused, which end up making them kind of dull. Yeah, yeah. That um, I wish they would put more hook up front. But it doesn't even have to be... I mean, this is a tough one, because it's like every... All three of these stories are kind of driving towards one one bit at the end where you go, oh, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. But they don't give you anything interesting at the beginning to really hook you into it. You know, it's and, – and, and I guess it's – again, it's unfair because if I remove myself from what I look for more more often than not with Star Trek, which is, you know, high concept that done well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I can look at this episode and say, all right, this is a pretty good character episode. I mean, it's very subdued. It's very laid back. It's, you know, they're just kind of, it's just sort of like a day in the life of Deep Space Nine, yeah. which is very, can be very appealing to, to a lot of people. But um, I don't know. It just, like, I, I liked the Cisco stuff. Like, I guess ultimately what I'm, what I'm getting at is I liked the stuff that they ended up doing. I just didn't care how they got there, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, you know. I think that I wouldn't even go that far as to say this is good character work that they're doing. To me, this this episode feels it's episode sixteen of the second season, right? It feels to me like episode eight of a Netflix series where yeah, you, yes. it's like you've developed all the stuff to this point. You just kind of need to kill time to get to the end of the season. Yeah. So they have these kind of middling stories that are like, yeah, like this works because I know the characters, but I don't really give a fuck, and this isn't really driving us anywhere. So what's the point of doing it? That that's my takeaway of what this episode was. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, I think that the, the the character work is the character work stuff is funny. It's because I we know, like, think about what we've learned about O'Brien here, which is we. I feel like we've learned more about O'Brien than we learned about any character in TNG in the first two yes. seasons about like what yeah. makes them tick. And we know a lot about Odo. I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed because every time Odo goes to the Gamma Quadrant to f- try to find his people, the storyline always seems to get distracted from him finding his people for some reason. Um, and here, I guess that's something we can... We the, That's my take on the character stuff. Like, they're really sort of, like, developing them as... At least their backgrounds, if not their outright character. Um, what did you think of the... This is ostensibly Odo finding uh, his his where he came from and everything. We do learn a little bit about the changelings in this episode, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that they exist as a myth to this these people. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And they the fact that they they or that they knew them a long time ago or something, and they haven't seen them in a very long time, so they don't think they're around anymore. And you get a sense of the um. Odo's lack of interest of being a plaything for people, mm-hmm. which is an important part of his character. Yeah, I'm sure that gets old pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> although I don't like at all his uh, little pirouettes at the very end when he turns into a top. <laughs> I think that's pretty terrible. Um, um, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to ask you if you if you noticed anything about what the changeling stuff was going on, um, because I would say that they they're setting the seeds for meeting the changelings and oh really yeah so it's i would i i think that the episode might kind of imply that you shouldn't take seriously what they're saying about them but you probably should if that makes sense yeah i i actually don't think i completely recognize that the girl was talking about the changelings as though as a real people okay so you thought it was totally yeah yeah i thought it was just like the way you know, uh, in in many other things before, you know, Star Trek or other fancy things where you meet, someone meets like the Hulk or whatever, and they're like, oh, you're just like the ogres that my people spoke, like that kind of thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. I thought it was one of those. I, I didn't actually, didn't, I actually didn't realize that she was literally talking about his people. Yes, and it, she she is, and she's literal in the sense that she does believe them to be a myth like she thought that she thinks that they're just sort of a legendary figure mm-hmm. um and I, I oh i was just gonna say overall i thought the odo stuff was good i mean i i thought he was his character arc in this was really good um or i don't know if it's really an arc but just the stuff they did with him was good like i didn't realize that his face was weird because he's not good at faces that was yep. interesting yep that's a fact um, we learned yep and uh his inter his interactions with the girl i thought were really good and you know that that uh, monster meets child kind of thing, not that he's a monster, but, you know, for the sake of argument, um, always works pretty well. Um, 
and yeah, you know, he's he's a tough one because he hasn't really had much. Um, I don't want to say empathy, but he's he's not he's not a super empathetic character in general. He's just sort of like a no nonsense, hard nosed uh, detective, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to see him kind of his guard come down a little bit in this episode was good. I liked it. Yeah, I I think that's a good. I I think it's the it's a good the the episode is basically servicing the Odo stuff, and I think it does the best job for him on that level. Um, letting him soften, he, he gets his dark guard down a little bit. He sort of make he makes a friend with uh, the girl, and it, it's just it's still he's he's still driven by his character thing of he wants to solve the mystery. That's his like primary reason that he wants to stay there and hang out and get this stuff done. So right. I, I think it works on all those levels. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for talking about this. One. I did. S- I did want to mention one more thing. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so they kind of leave it in a, in a place where they restart this hologram thing. And the, the guy who created it doesn't super go into the parameters of the program. I don't know why he would, but uh, again, this is not something that anybody cares about or, yeah. or matters really. Uh, but the first thing I thought of as they were leaving was, shit, man, having a society of people who now know that they are only holograms might cause some problems sooner than later. Like, it, it, you know, you know, like it, if these holographic things are self-aware that they are holograms, does that now change the way that they act? Oh, for some reason, I was I was under the impression that they wipe them and they start over. Do you, you I, just... You don't you don't think that that happened? Maybe you think they that they know did. that they're holograms at this point at the very end? I was under the impression that they didn't change anything. I could maybe I missed it. I could be wrong, but I I assumed that that they just brought everybody back because they told everybody because they bring them back and then everybody reacts as like, oh, you did it. You brought the missing. Oh, people they're all back. back. Yeah, that's right. All yeah. the people are back. Yeah. Huh, so that's I assume the state that they leave them in is one of knowing that they are holograms. Yes, because he. Because the guy, the real guy says, please don't tell them that I'm not like them. So oh, they that's definitely right. know. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, is there going to be like a subset of these people who are now having like identity crises because they are aware that they are holographic people who don't <laughs> matter? And just like the hologram machine now become like a point of power for people who want to like, you know. Take over the, yeah, like yeah. adjust, adjust their neighbors or whatever. what happens when the guy dies? That guy's not going to be around forever. Is that society just going to be like propagating itself inside whatever <laughs> the small uh, circum- uh, small diameter of space they have of the reach of the, 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 the projector? Yeah. They yeah. should go back to the, call somebody call Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> How, I, 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 <laughs> they need to go back to this or they need to, yeah, they need to meet them at the, uh, the, the startup of this thing. I, I, I wonder about that. Like the, I mean, it always brings up the point that I always have the thing now. I think that the, I think the science and perception has changed about stuff like this where um, I think on, we had one episode. Oh, I think it was the, uh, the ship in a bottle, which is one where Moriarty exists. Mm-hmm. And we just had a discussion about like, you know, in, in, in my, like the, the sentience of the creature makes them, real on some level like mm-hmm. i i think that my my understanding of the world is that like if we actually built this computer program that was super advanced like this and those creations were self-aware and conscious of their existence i i would kind of treat them like people so mm-hmm. it's it's not like they aren't real like i i i wouldn't the conflict that they're having about not feeling real feels almost dated to me on some kind of sci-fi level. Like, I feel like if you were writing these episodes now, they are real people and they would be treated the same. There, there wouldn't be this sort of existential angst about not being a real person, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, though. I, I don't, I, that might just be me and sort of thinking about like the. Uh, like did what you, the uh, difference would be between them. Did and, you see the new Blade Runner? I have not yet. No, that there's a lot of good stuff as far as that goes in the new Blade Runner. Yeah, I, I just feel that's the way, I feel like that's the way the science and, like, psychology of, like, ethics are going, in, in real world, are going that way. It's like, once we once we actually design an artificial intelligence, it'll be hard to be like, we can just shut it on and off at a certain point. Yeah. Like, it becomes a real thing at that point. Who are we to, who are we to sort of say that you can't exist anymore? Yeah, well, you know, it's never, 
actual actually being a real person has never stopped us from killing people before. Right, so I don't know right. why it would start. <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why robots would be any. We would treat them any differently. Pretty, I, I, it would probably turn into Star Wars, where they become a slave race. Yes. Yeah. They. We, we, the. Uh, I think there's a discussion in artificial circle. Some people who study artificial intelligence kind of see it as the. Um, the human evolution is to design a machine like this, and then it makes us extinct on some level. Like we, mm-hmm. we, you know, we. It sounds very science fiction, but it's like we create the gods. Like we are a god to a new species, basically by bringing them into this world, and then they surpass us. Uh, you could see yeah. it in a very religious sense. Yeah, makes sense. Why not? Um, so I think that the let's see. Oh, one thing that's interesting. We can kind of compare and contrast. I think one of the patrons brings this up. The ending of this episode, right? Mm-hmm. You, the ending of this episode is a good tell on the difference between the series, right? If this was a TOS episode, Kirk would have drop kicked the machine and it would have exploded and he would have <laughs> told everyone to like live their own life and be free or whatever. TNG, TNG, I think, would have moralized the people by telling them what was going on and giving them the option of doing it, uh, like mm-hmm. of, of choosing their own path. And DS9 does the other thing, which is they kind of are duplicitous about it. They allow this guy to be happy, but they don't tell the whole truth to everybody that's in there. I feel like TNG would have one character who's actually like, you know, did we kind of violate the Prime Directive by telling everybody here on this planet who didn't know they were holograms that they are holograms? Right, would the discussion have been about that on on some level? Yeah. Which which series do you think would do this, does this story the best? Quote, Quote, unquote, best. Um... I guess for me it would probably be TNG just because if they went the way that I just said, that's I find that more interesting than just yeah. kind of just, you know, fixing fixing somebody's light switch and then going back home. I'd agree. I, I think it's a, I think it actually probably would work better as a TNG idea. Um I I will say overall this episode was weird because it seemed like a lot of stuff happened off screen in all these stories. Or maybe not all of them, but mainly the Kira story. I feel like the Kira story, like not <laughs> 90% of the meat of that story happened off screen. Yeah, well, I mean, imagine if you had never seen Burial before, right? You're vaguely familiar with him. Yeah. So if you had never known him before, would that storyline have been like, what the hell is this storyline? Like, who is this guy and why are they in love all of a sudden? Yeah, a little bit. And I mean, even the stuff, like all the stuff with Quark and everything, that whole side plot you don't even see any of that stuff you don't see his cousin you don't see the other guy that uh Burrell comes yeah, his with his cousin yeah you don't see yeah. the uh, quark's cousin who's apparently like triggering all of these things that happen yeah yeah it's like they cut they just keep cutting back and Kira's like well it's a good thing we fixed that all right so you guys you know and they get back onto their own thing um and i guess you know you could argue that that's not the point of the story but the most interesting Kira thing aspect i thought was when she tells quark i don't just not like you i despise you yeah, that was that was that was harsh. That's a, that's a harsh. I feel to... like I almost feel like the Kira story could have been its own episode, probably. Or right. it's or like ju- just not enough to be an episode. So like it feels like they cut out. They had to cut around it in order to fit it into like a third of this. But if they had left everything in, it wouldn't quite be enough to make a yep. whole episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree. Um... I think we'll wrap it up there, though. We'll, we'll take a break, play an audio clip. We'll come back with patron thoughts, and then we will give our own ratings and call it a day. I was happy living on Yadera Prime. That is, until the Dominion took over and changed our whole way of life. And I realized one morning that I didn't really belong there anymore. So I came here. And I used a holo generator to recreate all the things that I'd lost. I've lived here in my village for nearly 30 years. I've watched the people marry, have children, (laughs) grow old, and sometimes I even forgot that they were holograms. But it's over. It's over. And I would appreciate it if you'd take me back to Yadera Prime. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast and we react to them in real time. You get to see our real, real emotions come out and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, we are talking about shadow play and the patrons have this to say. Nick Sergi writes, 
I always like shadow play. And although it has like four storylines, I like how they all move the characters forward in a way that was tough to do on TNG. Odo gets a lot of great moments here, and it's an important episode for him. After sitting through the ADHD season of Discovery, Shadow Play is a 90s style track that reminds me why I miss 90s style track. 90s style track. Not every episode needs to rock the boat to get my attention. I think we touched on that, Clay, which is right as you as a new person to this, maybe you do need a little bit more boat rocking to get your attention. I yeah, I don't know. It's <clears throat> I don't know if it's boat rocking. It's just There, it just didn't have, like, if they had, I know this is against the the way that they were trying to structure the episode, but if they had, like, put the fact that they were hologram people at the front of the episode, I would have been on, into this 100% more. And would you, would you have wanted Odo and Dax to be in the dark about what was going on, or would you just wanted to have revealed that they were holograms from the start for everybody? I don't know. But if they had, I don't know, it's just like, it just didn't have... It didn't have that driving hook, like you're saying. There's no conflict in ever, in anything, and I and I'm not talking conflict as in like throwing grenades or you know genocide or anything. Yeah, it's just like there wasn't really a anything to latch onto until the last like 20 minutes of the show, and that goes for all of the all of the storylines. Yeah, like yeah. the closest thing to conflict you get before the last like 15 minutes of the show is Jake telling O'Brien that he doesn't want to go to Starfleet. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like and which is, you know, which is fine. That's yep. that's actually not bad. I mean, that's a question that I was I asked at the beginning of the show is like what happens if you don't go to Starfleet? Well, I feel um, I feel that story you can have that Jake storyline in an episode that has two other plot lines that are doing things. You know what I yeah. mean? Mhm. It, it just yeah. this episode doesn't have any plot line that's doing anything is my problem with it. Yeah, and and the Kira story it's like yeah, it's just a nice, like nice in quotes, uh, love <laughs> love story, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, th- there's an there's an aspect to it that's kind of fun because Kira's you know such a hard ass to see her kind of uh, uh, open up to this guy is is a little interesting. But it's like yeah. again, why why are we doing this here? Why isn't this like? A, a, a B story in an episode where something's actually happened. <laughs> and the Odo story, it's like, yeah, you know, it's uh, sure. Yeah. I, they're, I, they're investigating people disappearing. I, it, it it's like deep, deep space nine, Star Trek intru- insurrection. I feel um, like it's interesting that they never had a, the cold open didn't end with some kind of clue as to something weird is going on on that colony, on that planet. You know, I like don't even this, remember what it was. It, it, well, it's Odo and Dex find the machine and then the guy comes up with a phaser oh, and catches right, yeah. them. Yeah. It, I feel like that's the thing. Like you, I feel like you, you end that cold open with him doing that. And then, you know, he marches them to a prison or something. And in the background, something phases out slightly like a hologram. Mm, you know, like yeah. a flower starts to phase out and then it flicks back to show you that the program is actually breaking down on some level. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the last few episodes that I've watched, their cold opens have been pretty shitty. Yeah, um, yeah. I, the cold I think opens was, are important in this series, there, I, I think. I think so. I think they're yeah. very important. Um, I feel like there was one I saw recently that was really good, but like Whispers, I thought the Whispers was terrible. The cold opener for Whispers was terrible. Which uh, O'Brien hiding behind the column is how that one ends. yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's another one before that. I think the last one I did before that was really bad too, where it was like, I don't even remember what it was, but it was something, something oh, it was interesting. Sanctuary, sanctuary, where the aliens come and they don't know how to, they can't speak into the translator. Yes. Just, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Woof. Um, <laughs> but you know, I like the cold open for Star Trek to me is always like where you, it's the purpose of it is to hook people, you know? Yes. It's, yep. it, and if it doesn't do that, if it's just like, oh well, the the replicator seems to be on the fritz. Bah. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's very hard to get excited about what you're about to watch. Even even on character drama episodes, you have to add the character conflict right there at the opening. Like you have yeah. to you have to show you why you want to watch this this episode. And they they haven't been doing that very well. Yeah, uh, it, there's a there's a thing that bothers me in comics. Uh, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here for a second. Um. Specifically, I feel like modern comics forget that you need to have people come back for your second issue. Yeah, right. And, 
you know, I, I, maybe this is unfair, but I tend to judge comics, new comics that I read a lot on their first issue. Yep. Because if I get to the end of the first issue and the last couple pages don't make me go, oh shit, I really want to get the next issue, I feel like you've failed to an extent. Even if, even if you're, even if your story ends up being good overall, I feel like you've got 22 pages to sell somebody on a brand new concept. And if you don't hook them at the end of that book, I feel like you're you're not doing your job right, personally. Yep. It's and, the same. Uh, well, for Hollywood script writing, the the advice is always to make your make the incident they want people want people to keep reading happen in the first ten pages. Yeah, exactly. Script. And yeah. I mean, you don't have to ruin stuff. You don't have to ruin anything, but you just have to you know do and get your story like set the hooks in of your story enough that your people go, okay, I see what's going on here, and the ideas that you're presenting to me are fascinating, and I would like to see more of that. And comics, for whatever reason, there's a lot of books that don't even do that in the first two issues, and it drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that's what the cold open is in Star Trek, and it's that's what it's for. It's to get you involved, get you to start asking questions, and, and present you with an idea that is interesting enough to you that you want to see how it all plays out. Yeah. And so yeah. when they come in so flat, they really have started to make me turn off to the episode a little bit because yeah, yeah. it. I end up sitting there going, all right, well, if this is the best they could give me for a cold <laughs> open, I guess I guess this is going to be a long 40 minutes. Yeah, and uh, Amy likes the cold opens to explain to her what the episode is, like to, to make your, to give you sea legs, basically, to be yeah. like, okay, this it's going to be a mystery episode about this. And the cold open in this episode doesn't do anything to explain what the episode is going to be about on some yeah. level. I, I don't think that's even 100% necessary. Like, I'm fine with a cold open that doesn't necessarily set everything up. Yep. But it just has to be engaging. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yep. And I feel like the cold open to this episode, I'm trying to think if it would be engaging from the point of view of the person writing it. So is it, is it one of those things where it's like the person writing it thinks this would be an engaging way to to start it, where it's like, oh, someone pulls a gun on them in this machine? You know, like sometimes sometimes you can write these things and the way that you react to it as the writer is different than yeah. you kind of yeah. you kind of lose the folk the the perspective of a person who's never read it before yeah. or watched it before. And I'm wondering if it's one of those. Well, I mean, um, I, if I was if I was producing this and I saw this cold open and I read it and then I made it to the end of the script, I'd say why are they talking about something totally unrelated to the episode? Because the the cold open starts with Dax and Odo talking about Odo never having been in a relationship, which has nothing to do with anything that happens in the show. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I'd say rewrite this. Like you have to, this has to be somehow yeah, thematically agree. tied into the story or something like that. Or if at the very least, um, when they get down there, isn't one of the things that brings them down there, like uh, they, there's no life form no life readings. Forms. Yep, no life you forms. You know, if they had leaned into that a little bit, instead of ending on the guy pulling a gun on them, being like, well, how is this guy here if there's no life yep. readings on any of the sensors? Like that kind of thing. If they had leaned into that, that's interesting. You know, that's at least a little bit of a kernel of a hook. Stephen Cobb writes, Shadowplay, love this This show one. sucks. <laughs> I'm done Shadowplay. with it. Love this one. Great concept, well-executed, interesting philosophical discussion on the nature of reality, very bread-and-butter Star Trek story. Felt a lot like a TNG script. Hey, we agree. Could it have been a TOS story had Odo phasered the hollow emitter and said, now you're free, figure it out. Oh, maybe I'm stealing Stephen Cobb's, uh, <laughs> Cobb's idea here. But that wouldn't work, though, because if you destroy the hollow emitter, everybody dies. Yes. Well, it would be, you'd have the one guy. I, I do agree. TOS would have been Kirk saying to that one guy, grabbing him by the lapels and shaking him, saying, like, you have to be free. Go to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, TNG and DS9 did not do that. Zam Nuclear Wessel. Here's, here's, here's how you fix it. Sure. This is how you make it a TOS episode. The guy who's behind everything, the machine is fritzing out or whatever, and uh, Kirk is trying to figure out. Kirk and Spock are debating the ethics of, or like, how do you how do you save a bunch of people who don't actually exist? Is it worth saving? This thing's gonna blow up. Should we get out of here? Should we save this one guy? The one guy sacrifices himself onto the machine, and because of sci-fi technology. As the machine blows up, it passes through him and turns everybody into real people. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fixed it. <laughs> turns everyone into real people. Uh, Zam Nuclear Wessel writes, Shadow Play, kind of a familiar nothing is real plot with some nice clues about both the Dominion and the Changelings. 
and the respective impact in the Gamma Quadrant, something I miss once the Dominion War goes into full swing. Matthew N. Ross writes, Shadow play. Odo's discard and eye rolling towards Dex and the opening mirrors my feelings towards Dex at this point at well. How is it that DS9 says that weirdness by the planet but only really close scan by runabout can confirm it? Yeah, that's always a thing. And then suddenly, do hickey alert. Here's the question. Prime directive. Anyone? Ah. Yeah, that was your question, Clay. The yeah. TNG would have handled it. Um, of course, you realize they're holograms the second you see that big machine doodad emitting all sorts of boogums and what's it. Switching back to the station, clearly Jake needs to do a job of getting better clothing. And by the way, remember Kira's brother. Don't worry about it. They don't either. Uh, getting back to the village, how is it that the town cop is amazed at Odo beaming away like it's magic yet he can scan for transporter signals? It's true. They're, they're a little inefficient with what this species actually knows. Um, mostly it's saccharine sweet. The man in his loneliness wants to make a copy of what he's lost. Makes you wonder, are all the holograms alive? That's it. We, that's what we pondered as well. Uh, Kyle Barrett says, shadow play. This may be the only time anyone has ever said this about DS9, but Enterprise does it better. The Enterprise episode Oasis, in which Rene Aubergenois guest stars, is very similar with a settlement of holograms, but takes a horror turn in the last act. I like Odo's storyline here, but the episode is brought down by the B and C plots, which try to progress a couple of ongoing character stories, but I don't think they fit together very well. It's an early example of the show's serialization, but it's not done well, and it comes off like a collection of stories to fill up the runtime, rather than a successful foray into a new form of Star Trek storytelling. Agreed. Um, he he doesn't play Odo on that show, does he? Or like a, a descendant of Odo? Or an no, he plays. Odo. He's a totally different character in that episode. Just the same actor. I I forgot to tell you. Uh, I'm not sure why this was. Maybe I can only assume maybe it was because his line hadn't opened up fully or something. But I was at uh, Awesome Con a couple weeks ago, and I was walking through the autograph area, and Michael Dorn and Rene Arbogenois were right next to each other, and Rene Arbogenois's line was gigantic. Oh, really? And Michael Dorn had like four people at his booth. And again, I don't know if that's because of maybe Michael Dorn wasn't like ready or maybe he was doing like some pre-signing or something. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, Odo's, Odo is a cooler character than Worf. Would you agree or would you disagree with that? Um, yeah, I would agree. I think he's a... I, I think, well, I think it's a couple things. I think he's a <clears throat> more... Uh, I think Worf could be a much cooler character, but they never really get into what makes him interesting, I don't think, yeah. at least not in TNG. And Rene Arbogenoir is just a better actor than Michael Dorn is. And I, I don't yes. and I'm not I don't think that Michael Dorn's terrible. I just think Rene's better. Yes, he is. Um I guess we could do a we'll just end it with a quick power ranking of DS9 actors at this point. If you had to if you had first pick in the DS9 actor draft to be on your team, who would you, who would you draft out of these guys? Um, probably, probably Renee. Yeah, I think he'd yeah. go one. Two for me would be uh, Cole Meany. Yep. I would Th- say, I would pick Quark probably number three. Oh, Quark at number three is good. Yeah, four, uh, Avery Brooks, probably, Cisco. Uh, he hasn't really impressed me yet. I actually think Kira's pretty good. I mean, she doesn't have... Even as an actress? Yeah, I think she's fine. Okay. I mean, she, yeah. she kind of has, uh... Um, she's kind of like a, maybe this is why I like her so much, but she seems like she's a better version of Tasha Yar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly I have a type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's very true. She, um, she is kind of similar in that regard. I'd probably put Cisco, then Kira. You might reverse the order of that. And then it would be Dax at the very bottom. And then Keiko I would put O'Brien. everybody on the bus and then leave. <laughs> And then 10 minutes later go, oh, shit, Dax. And then not tell anybody that we forgot. Yep. Yep. I'm sorry. Not that's that's mean. That's mean. Not tell them all that we're hologram. I, I'd agree, though. I, I think that the um, it, it's a pretty strong cast, all things considered. I think it's, yeah. in general, more strong than TNG's cast is across the board um, in terms I, of acting. I would say, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Um. I think probably yes, but I think the thing that makes it a little bit muddy is that I think the characters on TNG are so different yeah. uh, visually and character-wise. Well, who's, that- who's, who's number three for you on TNG? Because we had Quark. I don't think anyone on TNG equals Shimmerman's performance as Quark, basically. Like, the drop-off is very abrupt on TNG after you get past Stuart and Spiner. 
I would say Stuart Spiner, um, probably Riker. Yeah, it's probably Frakes. Or just Audible and say Cole Meany. <laughs> <laughs> Still counts. I think that's it. Oh, uh, anyway, guys, yeah, well, we'll give our ratings, Clay. We have so much to get through at the end of the episodes now, I forget what I'm talking about. So, our ratings on the two to five, or one to five scale, I think I revealed what my rating is. So, what are you going to give this one? Um, yeah, I would give it a two. Yeah. Two for me. It could easily yeah. be easily be improved. I just have some minor uh minor I, tinkering. I have to say we we have for me anyway entered that section of Star Trek, early Star Trek where they're the the bad ones are not terrible. Um yeah. where it's like okay, even the ones that aren't that good are not Angel 1, you know. Have you um, would you say that you think DS9's second season is much better than its first season or would you would, just say that the first two yes. seasons are better than TNG's early season? No, I, I think it's I think it's a similar trajectory to TNG. Yeah. Um where it's the first season was very forgettable, but the second season they're kind of finding their legs a bit. And <clears throat> I don't think you have to remind me. Is there has there been one that I've watched that's been like we both said has been terrible terrible? Of a DS9 episode? Yeah. Like not of, since the in first the last season. couple. Yeah. I didn't think so. No. Um, so yeah, it's like even the ones that are kind of subpar are still pretty good T- DS9 episodes. They're not complete trash fires. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and so that's uh, that's that's a very important stepping stone in the life of a Star Trek show. Oh, well, you, you watched uh, Second Sight with me, right? That's the one where the ghost woman, Cisco falls in love with the, the hologram woman. Oh, uh, that's yeah. that that's in the second season. That was that was probably the worst episode. OK, of the second well, season. Every, nobody's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I take your point. I, I understand what you mean. I, I agree with you as well. I really we, um, I, I have I have sympathy for people who listen to these like back to back to back where <laughs> we forget like, what but, we're talking but, about yeah well me more than you but but in the span of like three episodes i re- react very strongly to something <laughs> that i'm like i don't know if i haven't liked an episode this season yet it's, it's probably episodes of you being like ah like you know one episode it's like oh i got so sick eating fish and chips never going to eat fish and chips again the next one is just like oh it's just i'm eating some fish and chips yeah, exactly. today. it's just very it's very uh very uh schism-y on our takes yeah. But I mean, that's kind of a, this will be our non sequitur. I'm giving it a two as well. Um, the non sequitur just be the podcast has been interesting because it's exposed to me how I cannot have a, I can't have a solid opinion about anything subjective like art wise, because mm-hmm. I just disagree with everything I believed a year ago, basically right. <laughs> like, like nothing, nothing is very, I, I don't have a consistent enough uh, opinion of things to really ever be strongly opinionated about anything, I suppose. Yeah. And in saying that, you have also shifted your opinion on whether or not you can be objective about something subjective. Oh no, I still believe that. I still I still 100% <laughs> believe. There God there is some <laughs> there is there is some shadow world where objectivity sneaks into subjectivity. Um <laughs> because my my thing would be my my counter would to this would be if if someone said for us to draw uh a, a comic Dignity. book okay for me and you to draw like they both they both gave us the same script and like draw this if i if we showed our end results to 100 people and said which one of these is better no one would pick mine unless they were you know unless they were unless there was something wrong with that person they would no one would say this one or these two are equal like so i think there's some kind of objectivity in subjectivity on some level if that makes sense uh how do i respond to that without sounding like a full of myself asshole um <laughs> no well, I, I know the, what you mean the other counter would be if 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 art is subjective why do people feel the need to practice at doing art why do they feel that they need to improve at it like yeah so th- there's something that's all i'm talking about well, with the subjectivity of tng episodes or well episode. i mean yeah I mean, well if we want to get into that conversation i mean it's practicing to get better is in essence a subjective act because you are the person practicing to get better believes that they are not up to snuff. So it's their own subjective take on their own work. So it's not, it's, it, it, we don't need to talk about this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting into arguments about, uh, again, aiming an argument about whether or not the use of pawn is inappropriate. That I, I, I think there's a word probably in English that describes what I'm talking about, but I don't know what the word is. So I, I guess I'll just call it a day there. Um, <laughs> let's see here. 
uh, I think that's it. So, patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show, you go there. Uh, there's all the social media links. They'll be all around. There's a Discord server now. Um, I'm spending less time on Facebook, so if you want to talk, go to Discord. There'll be a little link. It's a little chat function. Uh, yeah, I, you sent me something for that, and I didn't know what it was. So I- oh, it's, it's, it's the link to get your, uh, your access to it so you can see what everyone has been saying about the episodes that we've done. Um, oh, I didn't I'll know rese- that was a thing. I'll resend it. Yeah, we have like a little chat room now about the, uh, there's probably about 15 to 20 people who are signed up and logged into it, but you can go there and read what people are typing. It's a little, uh, something to kill a couple minutes a day with. And, and then, I will sign in under a name that you will not recognize and <laughs> pretend that I'm not me. And start bad-mouthing the show. Um, I think that's it. Patreon, uh, support the show there. That's always great. You get extra stuff. And then, as always, the uh, Captain Tier patrons get a shout-out at the end of the episode. Vincent Adultman, Stephen Cobb, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrie Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Venler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tarek Latif. Guys, thank you very much for supporting the show. It makes everything possible. Clay, thanks for coming on. Do you have anything you want to say before we head out of here? It's been an hour. Um, I don't think so. Uh, we covered no. our non-sequiturs, I think. Yeah, um, I think I covered my any any tangents I covered earlier in the episode. <laughs> this this podcast itself had a bad cold open. <laughs> we had to, we had I don't know. I'm through. still disappointed there was no spring ball sequence. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I guess the episodes themselves do have. I was thinking about the um, post that where we we're just trying to get through the uh, the Kira and Jake storylines, and really just sort of breaking down the facts of what happened, and then moving on from there. <laughs> Um, I think that's it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time.